Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a person as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of this adventure blows in our ears, then imitate the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, sit the teeth and stretch the nostril wide. Hold hard the breath and bend up every spirit to your full height. For there is none of you that hath not noble luster in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit. My name is Jefferson Smith, and it is my last day. Thank you, and apologies to the bard. Tom will return to you on Monday. What subjects should we broach, dear friends, on The Tom Hartman Show? What would change your mind? You know, at this point, most of us, I shouldn't say most, there's a lot of people who are still figuring it out. If you're one of those people, and I don't mean, oh, the difference between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders seems hard for me to make up my mind regarding. But if something would make up your mind something would change your mind, something would impact your view, what might it be? What should we be listening for? What are the state legislative chambers that are up for grabs? 2020 is redistricting. 2020 will decide what the congressional map looks like for the rest of the decade. Where are the legislative chambers? Where are the governor's races that will impact that? What are topics of democracy that we failed to cover this week that we should make sure we at least give a nod to? I posted that question online. There were folks who wanted to hear about and wanted me to plug the Poor People's Campaign. That'd be something to talk about. We'll do a little watch your language. What are words you're hearing out in the world? What are parts of the parlance? What are elements of discussion that you think we're picking the wrong words? If words matter, what words should we be using to replace them what's happening around the world what are examples in berlin or paris that might be things that this country or that towns could learn from if mitch mcconnell and donald trump don't want to learn much from data and from experience that isn't funded by a highly paid lobbyist what might we learn from activists and policymakers who are trying to do the greatest good for the greatest number What's happening around the world? Also, how do we secure our elections? How do we make sure that the 2020 election 
is one that has and engenders greater trust than the 2016 election. What do you think we should be talking about? I talked about Senate races yesterday, some of the key Senate races we should be watching. And I want to run through some of the legislative races, some of the states where chambers are, in fact, up for deciding in this election. And I would say, I mean, we spend so much of our attention and it's, it's important, of course, we spend so much of our attention on the presidential race. But recognize that the delta between Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, heck, the delta between Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, not only is that much less than the difference between any of those people and Donald Trump, but it's also less than the difference between having lines drawn by Democrats versus lines drawn by Republicans or lines drawn by nonpartisan commissions than lines drawn by right wing strategists in the next post census line drawing that's going to happen in every state around the country critical. You can make a similar case around the U.S. Senate. Let me run through some of those legislative chambers. And if people have their favorite sources for this stuff or their favorite ways to go help, you can send that in. You can tweet at us at Tom underscore Hartman. You can tweet at me at Jefferson D. Smith. Uh, But I want, I just know that as we think about how we spend our time and energy, if you go and devote yourself to a swing district, a state legislative race, you can have a meaningful impact. That thing's going to be decided by maybe 150 votes. It's going to make Florida look like, you know, in 2000, look like a decisive election. These races are close because these districts are small. I remember in the state of Oregon back in 2000 that Republicans held a strong majority, big majority in the state house. I think it was 35-25, as I recall, 35 Republicans, 25 Democrats. But the number of votes that was in all of the, if you looked at the closest districts in the election that just preceded that 35-25, I think it was 1,400 votes. That if you flip 1,400 votes, that all of a sudden it'd be 31-29 Democrats. And what that would mean and what that does mean is then those lines, not only does that mean that education spending, that child services spending, that healthcare spending, the decisions that states make, presidents don't do that. Congress doesn't do most of that. States do that stuff. Not only does it mean those decisions with real human impacts are made with sort of democracy and humanity in mind, but it also means that the line drawing is done differently. So let me run through some of those. Uh, The Colorado State Senate, Democrats hold by three votes. They need to hold that. Arizona House of Representatives, this is a big one. Arizona, one of the biggest battlegrounds in 2020. Republicans hold the House of Representatives by two seats. It would only take a pickup of two seats for Democrats to take over the Arizona House of Representatives. The Iowa House of Representatives, if Democrats pick up six seats in Iowa, they can pick that up. Kentucky, it would take... A pickup of 20 seats, uh, but all 100 seats are available. So if there were a landslide, if there were a sweep in Kentucky, even Kentucky could have a Democratic House. The Maine State Senate is close. Maine, of course, Susan Collins is there. It is an enormous battleground for that reason. Democrats hold the state Senate by seven seats, and all 35 seats are up uh, in Michigan. Michigan, a big state, of course, for the presidential campaign. It was the governor of Michigan that gave the response in the State of the Union address that we talked about the other day. Got a nice note from a friend thinking that we should, in fact, enact a couple of the ideas that I uh, put out there about how to do a response to the State of the Union. I like that idea of actually trying to do that. But in Michigan, Republicans control the House of Representatives by six votes. In Minnesota, Republicans control the state Senate by three seats. But again, in Michigan, all 110 seats are open. If Democrats win the legislature there. They All they have to do is win a bare majority. They control the House representatives in Michigan. Same story in Minnesota. 67 state Senate seats up. Democrats need to pick up three. In Nevada and New Hampshire, the Democrats have a relatively thin margin. They need to hold North Carolina. Only a few more. Don't worry. I know it can be tricky going through a list, but I want us to learn this stuff and be able to talk about it. One of the things I wanted to get done before the week was out. In North Carolina, another huge battleground state. This is, again, the biggest argument for a candidate who can do well in North Carolina, for the folks in this show who who aren't big Biden fans. And I hear what you're saying. I hear where you're coming from. The best argument I've heard for Biden, I'm not, it's not, I'm not here to plug him. The best argument I've heard for him, for him is his strength in North Carolina, ability to help beat Tom Tillis and then help in the North Carolina State Senate and a North 
Carolina State House, where Republicans hold relatively thin majorities in both places. You could turn North Carolina in a trifecta for Democrats. That is a quick rundown. If we engage ourselves with elections where we can have a real delta, where the dark money is not going to flow in the hundreds of millions, but instead just in the millions, where races don't themselves, race by race, don't cost a billion dollars the way I suspect this presidential race is going to cost, whether or not Bloomberg is the nominee in races where the races are, you know, $100,000, real expensive ones, maybe a million dollars, the cheaper ones, maybe 25 grand, these cheaper races you can really have a huge impact. Lynn from Waynesboro wants to say more about internet security around election security. Go ahead, Lynn. Following up on the discussion you had previously about the second sources and so forth, obviously this is a big problem that people are relying on what they get off of social media. Sure. And even in, in the books that have been written about Trump, the gossip books, and you know, even some of the ones that are more high-quality and they respect the journalists, we're still getting a second-hand information. When you want to help your network, your community, your friends be a little more media-aware, what do you recommend, Lynn? Try to get to the do research. I mean, yeah. get to the bottom of it. And don't just rely on what somebody said, somebody else said, that they heard say, you know, that old telephone game that the kids receiving information by the time it gets to the end of the line. There's a reason that that is not reliable information. Yeah. Preach, Lynn. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. David from WGRN in Columbus, Ohio. How you doing? I have serious issues with the current Democratic leadership. How come? You know, it's hard to know whether they're succeeding or failing or flailing around. You know, I just would like to see an inclusive Democratic leadership that pulls in everybody instead of just talks about corporate success and David, which Democratic leadership are you speaking to? Uh, the national. R- the right, national. but which, which people are only talking about corporate success? The DNC and groups like that. All they want is money. You know, I volunteer going door-to-door, helping out Democrats, handing out stuff, but then I don't feel like I'm part of anything. I don't feel like they want my opinion. I don't feel like they want me. They just want my hand to hand out stuff and talk to people. And, you know, I, I would like to feel like it's a group that's helping the poor, it's helping the average people, it's helping improve minimum wages, instead of talking about corporate stuff. I'd like but, to but I want like- So I hear about, and first of all, I think one of the smartest things I've heard this week is, uh, and it connects with something a friend of mine was advocating for a while, uh, has been advocating for a while, saying that political parties should be, to a greater degree, engaged in direct service should actually be manifesting its values in work that it does. Actually, if it, if it says it cares about homelessness, well, it work to change political power, but also maybe do a little direct service to just express those values. It's an interesting idea. But I do want to poke at that thing when you say, well, the Democratic leadership only talks about corporate stuff. I guess I want, if I hear about, if I think about the speeches from the people I think are the most highly ranked Democrats in the country, I hear vastly more about health care. I hear vastly more about assaults on democracy. Heck, I hear vastly more about trying to hold a president accountable. And I'm not hearing as much about corporate stuff, but I well, do hear a lot about fundraising. The leadership is still voting for big defense budgets. Yeah. They're still repressing Central and South America. They're still in that Cold War mentality. I don't think that even makes any sense. We need to have a democratic leadership that understands the world, not just what makes money for them as far as donations from lobbies. Well, David, I really appreciate your call. Thanks so much for calling. Lynn Wood from Gordonsville, Virginia. Go ahead. What's up, brother? How's it going? It's going good. How you doing? I'm still learning. Likewise. Well, Great answer. That's one of my favorite answers to that question ever. Thank you. But what I'm calling today about is the decorum of the state of our union, the tackiness of the Republican Party and giving the Congressional Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh during that state of the union address. It shows that, well, we don't really want to cater to the United States. We just want to cater to those Americans who agree with us. And so when Nancy Pelosi ripped the speech up, I'm not mad that she did it. Because the way that he'd been disrespecting them the whole time, he didn't shake her hand. Hell, he didn't even shake the vice president's hand. And then he came in the prayer breakfast the other day. 
I think that you know, me personally, I don't know. I'm not trying to start no rumors. I think the man's on drugs because he kept sniffing every few seconds. Every sentence, <laughs> I think you're on a, on a narcotic. Yeah, there have been a bunch of people who have suggested similar things. I'm not in a position to weigh in on it. I do think that was the speech of a, uh, this maybe gives it too much credit. Well, a critic would call it a cult leader, a proponent, or maybe the almost neutral observer might call it a movement leader, and recognize that the Trump strategy is a simple one. It is tit for tat, is reward your friends, punish your enemies. It is a strategy that when one is armed with nuclear weapons, is a really dangerous strategy. It is a habit for a government that has meaningful weaknesses. And ultimately, giving an award to Rush Limbaugh demonstrated rewarding one's friends in high order. Tom Hartman here. My new book, The War on Voting, it should be titled The Republican War on Voting, which is what it really is, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back, is on the verge of being out or is out in bookstores near you and online. It is the third in the series, the Hidden History series. The first was Guns in the Second Amendment. The second was the Supreme Court, the Betrayal of America. We're doing a book tour on the voting book here. Uh, Saturday, February 15th, I'll be in Los Angeles at the Sportsman's Lodge at 1 p.m. More information at kpfk.org. On Monday, February 17th in San Francisco, at the, or in Berkeley, actually, at the Arts and Letters series, series at 7.30 p.m. On Wednesday, February 19th, I'll be in Seattle at Town Hall, 7.30 p.m. Sunday, February 23rd in Minneapolis, the Blue State Ball at 1 p.m. Friday, the 28th of February in Portland at Powell's on Burnside, and Sunday in Chicago on March 1st. You can check it all out at TomHartman.com. All the information is there. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. What subjects should we broach? Let's do a speed round so that we can clear the line so more people can call in. People know the rules of speed round. We try to be speedy, and I talk a little too fast. Patricia from Portage, Wisconsin, go ahead. I would like to see the mass extinction of a million species on the debates because actually we depend on them for almost everything. And you will notice by your own reaction to this call that even progressive talk show people give short shrift to the other 99.999% of species on this planet who are being disappeared by us. And let me just give you one statistic. 60% of mammals on Earth are livestock for slaughter. 36% are us. And 4% are all the wild mammals left. And they're going fast. You can't get down that low and not have it just disappear. I want to say those numbers again so people can get them. 60% of all the live mammals on Earth are livestock waiting for slaughter. 30% are humans. The remaining 10%. are humans. 36% are all the wild mammals left. 4%. Oh, I did get those numbers wrong. 4% are all the wild mammals combined. So every wild mammal combined on the planet, every koala we're seeing in Australia, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. animal that we're seeing that is suffering, every mm-hmm. every animal that's losing its habitat, you add up all those things that it's 4% of all the living mammals on the planet. Right. And 70% of birds are poultry for slaughter and 30% are all the wild birds left on the planet. If we think we can live alone on this planet, we are crazy. Patricia, we need this on the debate. I appreciate it. It is. It is it, I've added it to my list. Thank you so much for calling. You're welcome. Tom, watching on YouTube, how you doing? Yes, sir. Yeah, hey, I realize this is going back in history, but my great-grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher in Missouri. Now, this man had a fourth-grade education, but he knew enough to go take his congregation to a black church. They did this every fifth Sunday. It was called a fifth Sunday meeting. Okay, they would have a worship service and then have a picnic afterwards. And I asked a bus driver, the tour company I used to work for, that I couldn't find anything on the Internet about it. And I said, how did it happen? He said it happened all over the South because mm. the preachers got together. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, it, admittedly, there weren't black people coming into my, you know, 
great-grandpa's, you know, because that area was not as progressive. But the town of Hartville that had that black Pentecostal church, they didn't have separate drinking fountains. Uh, They were desegregated much earlier than other places, and the worst effects of Jim Crow did not happen there because people blew it off. Okay, so when I see Reverend Walt, Walt, I'm sorry, uh, Reverend uh, Waters, uh, you know, this is very, very encouraging. And I think people just need to reach out to each other. I mean, we depend too much on the Internet. We depend too much on, on just news sources. We need to start talking to each other again. You know, get out of this. Human contact, true organizing, don't just complain, organize, actually build human relationships, appreciate the call. We're in speed round. Deborah, go ahead, from Denver. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just want to talk about the public option. (laughs) Thank you. I just want to talk about the public option or Medicare for all who want it, which is the same thing, uh, versus Medicare for all. Medicare is bulletproof. It's uh, Republican-proof. And it has stood the test of time. Well, ever since we got Obamacare, the Republicans have been picking it apart piece by piece. And now they're in court trying to destroy it once and for all. So the Medicare for all who want it slash public option, it doesn't fix any of the problems that private insurance companies are causing, such as the operating principle to take as much money possible and provide as little health care as possible to make record-breaking billion-dollar profits off of sick people. Yeah. Also, you'll only be able to get the public option Medicare for all who want it only if you're not covered by anything else. So yeah. the public option Medicare for all is just a ginormous lie. It's like bringing the box of Band-Aids to a broken system that is bleeding to death. So my question to you, Jeff, yep. is if the courts strike down Obamacare in court, then what happens to the public option, Medicare for all who want it? Will we be back to square one? Well, I agree with you is that some national health insurance where everybody gets it, I think, is the best system. I think that we've seen it in other countries. It's the best system. I hugely appreciate. And I think if it weren't for Bernie Sanders, there wouldn't have the national debate on this subject that we're having. And I appreciate both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren for trumpeting a system of national health insurance, Medicare for all, universal health insurance. It is one of the better manifestations of government power that one can have. And If you add up all the money that we spend, including the private money, there's no question it would save money. That said, my quibble is I don't think that a public option would be a retrograde, would be a backwards movement. I think a public option would be better than Obamacare without a public option. I I still am disappointed and saddened that a public option wasn't included. There were one vote away from having a public option in this plan. Uh, My other quibble is both of them will be under attack. We're seeing national health insurance under attack by the Tories in Great Britain. And the way they cover it over is by putting all of their emphasis on Brexit and then chipping away at a system of national health insurance. Make no mistake, they'd like to chip it away more. You're right that if everybody's got the thing, if everybody's got the thing, kind of like public schools, it is a little bit harder to dump the thing. That said, they still do some chipping away and we've got private schools and they've tried to defund public schools in this country. I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's any system you can build that is safe from uh, without having the eternal vigilance of democracy and a pro-humanity voting coalition. I don't think there's anything that's safe. To answer the question that you asked, but agree with your, uh, with your championing for universal health insurance. What, uh, to answer the question that I heard you ask, if they overrule Obamacare, I think we've got a real problem. The, uh, I want to take that, uh, I want to go further than that when it's not speed round, but that's not, that doesn't, that, that's a problem for national health insurance. That's a problem for a public option. Uh, that's just a real problem. Judy from Healdsburg, California, you're on speed round. Go ahead. I'd like to talk about what no one is talking about today. Okay. And this is what has happened to Julian Lassange, Chelsea Manning, and Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you, Jefferson, if there was anything right in our country, these people would be honored as heroes. And this is a, a real, real problem. At this point, you know my opinion of the public, of the American public. 
is that I think they're more comfortable living with corruption than they are living with truth and honesty. And I'll leave you with that. Thank you, Judy. Lawrence from St. Paul, Minnesota. Go ahead. I'll tell you why the Democrats are going to lose and Trump's going to win in a landslide. Uh The Democrats... Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why we think that we still, and we, you just said in, in your previous comments, yeah, we should we should go out and, and look for those lunchbox-carrying, hard-hit-carrying guys, but that's all we're doing now. But look, this world, this United States of America is fractured. We have one party that, that relishes a, a religion, a Trump religion, and we have another party. That's everybody else. Now, if you're a little muffled, Lawrence. Vote, if there was, you're, you're you're coming through a little muffled. If there was one thing you'd like to see happen, what would it be? Oh, I would like to see happen that we stop trying to go for these voters that we that would never vote for us and try to get some of these other voters, Hispanics. We we need to sure up that base, Hispanics, Vietnamese, South Vietnamese, South Asian people. Forget about the white voter for this election cycle and just try to sure up the other people and we'll be successful. Thanks, Lawrence. And where I won't agree that we should forget about any particular kind of voter, I will absolutely and strongly agree. We got to remember every voter and the growing elements of a pro-democracy movement not only include, but are led by people of color. And I think that is a critically important reminder and appreciate the phone call. Paul from Portland, Oregon. The search for truth is a marathon, not a sprint, especially of important truths. Cornblood, uh, Karen Cornblood was pointing out that the anti-vax disinformation campaign. Yeah. Well, it's just come out very recently that uh, autism is a problem with myelin. Not anything to do with uh, vaccines, but, yeah. but your nerves are coated by something called myelin, and bad things happen when myelin is an imbalance in your body, and autism is either too much myelin coating your, your nerves or, or too little. Appreciate it. Appreciate so much. And, the and call, you know, call. 20 years later, it's finally sort of coming out. Yeah. So you have to be a, a stout searcher. And, and Paul, I like that as your final thought, that each of us need to be stout searchers and look at good research and weigh it in the same way, in the same way that any of us might get frustrated. Like yesterday when a person called in and said, ah, Trump's the greatest. And then I asked her about climate change and she said, oh, well, you got to read this thing that tells us all it's all rigged. It's all trumped up. We got to look at the real research. And if we're going to have democracy, we've got to have hope. We've got to have faith. We've got to have truth. And we've got to work together to make sure that truth is, in fact, has lots of truthiness. So it could be Valentine's Day. It could just be a date, you know, especially a first date. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. You glance in the mirror. You notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. Uh Uh-oh, what do we do? Ha-ha, here's my secret weapon, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom, two minutes later, literally, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing right in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to tryplexiderm.com and enter voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter voices at tryplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at triplexiderm.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Dan from Huntsville, Alabama. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, Jeff. Great job this week. I really like your style. Appreciate it. So you brought up something about the rebuttal to the State of the Union, and it ought to be a rally or something. And I think it's a great idea. And how about get Hollywood involved and make it a real production? You got a lot of people on that side. There are lots of hugely creative people. One of my quibbles, one of my beefs, one of my hobby horses is that we, there's so many creative progressives, so many, and they're not all Hollywood executives. There's so many creative progressives and there's, and there's so often a disconnect. One of the reasons I admired Obama's uh, campaign was that the, was he had a greater connection with creative community. I don't mean, I don't mean like actors donating to his campaign coffers. That's not what I mean. I mean, artists, uh, I, I mean, Taylor's Ferry. I mean, real, uh, I mean, uh, 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 Shepherd's Ferry. Taylor's Ferry is a road in my town, uh, building, uh, making beautiful art. 
that relates to the political discussion. Uh, when we see our Democratic response, I think there's ways we can step up the production value. I absolutely agree with you. John from Aurora, Illinois. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, Jefferson, I just want to say, um, you know, I, I want, I, I'm kind of tired of the Democrats not playing dirty ball. Um, I, first of all, I think Wouldn't you be sick of them if they Biden. were playing dirty ball? Don't you think a bunch of people would be sick of them if they were dirty? What's the right amount of dirty? No, no this is what I think they should be doing. Okay. Like, take, okay, take um, Sherrod Brown. He writes an op-ed talking about how the Republicans are all in private sit there and, sit, and tell him how they feel Trump is unfit for office. Well, why not just put on a wire and, and record all these people saying it, then cut it up, make a nice little montage of it, call a press conference, and press play? And say, okay, now defend this because you guys have this schmuck in office, and you're not doing anything about it. And this is how you truly feel. And then let and then let that go through the cycle, and let them try to go walk that back on Fox News because they're sitting there trying to defend the undefensible. And, and we just need to pull stuff like that out of the playbook. And I think Joe Biden should should drop out of the race, go on Fox News, and say I'm dropping out of the race because yeah, it was inappropriate, but it wasn't illegal. What's illegal? And lay it out. Spell it out how Trump's kids are benefiting and just put it all out there for these idiots to understand. Because that's the only way you're going to get people to understand is by doing the exact same kind of thing. Not illegal, but kind of like. All right, John, I hear you. And thanks for the call. Let's go to Steve from Minneapolis, Minnesota. My deal is the Republicans are purging the voter rolls, right? Yep. What if everybody registered as Republican? They wouldn't know who to purge. This is your uh, swifty and modest proposal? Yes, it is. Very, very short and sweet. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks very much. I, uh, if, if it is meant without any tongues and any cheeks, what I would say is part of the challenge, one of the reasons that purging the voter rolls is effective, is so pernicious, is that who we want for democracy really to work, if we want a democracy that works for working people and people who wish they were working, if we want it to work for poor people, if we want to work for it to work for the disengaged and less enfranchised, then we need a system that is easier rather than harder. We need voting systems that have fewer barriers rather than more barriers. The challenge is not, well, people are registering with the wrong party merely. The challenge is how do we keep people engaged, particularly when they're working multiple jobs and they're trying to raise multiple kids when they don't have as much faith in the systems that operate? And why would they? Because those systems haven't benefited them as much. So for me, the priority is not just what what trick we might be able to pull as we register to vote, but how do we make the process of participating in democracy, one that it's welcoming, one that wants people to participate rather than building walls in front of people's right to participate. Jan from Houston. Hi. Um, Hi. Um, I, I heard James Carville on the on the MSNBC the other night, yep. and he said that he didn't want to see the Democratic Party become the Labor Party of the UK, Got which it. is virtually dead and he also said a very scary statistic was that 18 percent of the population in this country votes for 52 senators and he's right it's we have uh, senate apportionment right now the the mm. the u.s senate is less representative of the american people than the electoral college that right now we have an anti-majoritarian government. We have an anti-majoritarian Republican Party. They spread out a map pretending that vacant lots and land and deserts and forests and farmland uh, vote. Land does not vote. Human beings vote. And that right now we have an anti-majoritarian government and a government that is maybe not coincidentally working. Well, I'm going to take away the maybe that is not coincidentally working to peel back critical elements of having democracy, of having a majoritarian government. Because if you have a system of ideology that benefits too few, well, maybe it makes sense that you wouldn't want everybody participating in that debate. 
If you can shrink it a little bit, you got a better chance to win. If you can manipulate it more, you got a better chance to win. That is much of the thing. I got a text in about Carville. Uh, yeah, he's he, he. I think said that it, we thought it was crazy to uh, nominate Bernie Sanders. Thought that would be like uh, what the Labor Party did in nominating their uh, their head that did not have uh, broad enough support to be able to win the country. And Boris Johnson uh, was able to win. So I, I'm now learning more about it. Uh, Francis from Pasadena, California. I lived for some years in South Pasadena, California. Did you? Nice, nice area. In fact, I clerked. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has its biggest courthouse, the one that has the most judges that are there. I clerked for the Ninth Circuit after graduating from law school, and it's based right not too far off Orange Grove. That's wonderful. Small world. People automatically think the Ninth Circuit is like up near San Francisco or something, but yeah. no. no. And it is the, the headquarters. Its main, its main chambers are in San Francisco, but more judges in Pasadena because it's got the nicest one. The, you got about 10 seconds, Francis. I just wondered if you know what Eric Prince and Blackwater are up to with all these recent international scary things. It, it is scary stuff. I need to get uh, more up to speed on the last six months, but it is Eric Prince is uh, relative of Betsy DeVos, brother of Betsy DeVos. It's scary stuff. Robbie from Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray. Thanks for doing that. I, I was listening to you earlier this, this week here, and I, I just got to say it's completely, I don't know if it's your cognitive dissonance, about the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. but to assume that it was like a technical difficulty uh, in you think, you think the Iowa, Iowa was votes. Of course, I mean, well, yeah, you have. That's the topic that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. But what, how what, can what do you, you think? Legitimately what, assume that it was just a technical difficulty, and the app that Pete B. I don't know. Spend forty-two thousand dollars on that was developed by ex-Clinton staffers. How can you say that this is not in an election rigging? Are you really? I, I don't know. Like, are you just I mean, well, I mean, here's the thing. Why is it OK for Democrats to do it? Which, ironically, Nancy Pelosi, uh, who, for whatever reason, we all knew Trump was going to be acquitted. We all knew the vote wouldn't pass. She hesitated. She held off submitting the articles for impeachment, which, ironically, when the state of when I don't know his address, when the acquittal happened. Is it, right Robbie, is it, and I know and, and you and I, I remember now right you and I. Iowa. The last time I was on afterwards, you asked if I would spend some time on the phone with you, and I did. We spent an hour together, maybe a little better than that. And the and I did have a chance to listen. I appreciated you spending the time, and I, and I came away from that. And I know your and share some of your deep frustration with the state of power in the United States. I, I don't share some of your feeling that if uh, if one's first choice candidate isn't there, that that it's uh, better that. that there is n- that's not what I said. That's not better. what I'm asking. I'm asking if you but think I, the Iowa election was rigged. But I wanted to ask the second thing you were saying about Pelosi. How do you connect that to? How do you? How was that connecting to the Iowa thing? Or was that just a separate frustration? Because the Democratic establishment, yeah. the people that call on this show all the time and try to complain about the Democrats, that people, people, I don't know. So when I'm critiquing the Democratic Party, it's because I see that mass conglomerate wealth, as you like to describe it, being in control. And they would rather have four more years of Trump than a Sanders uh, administration. And what's the the evidence you see? And and, and so that's that's what's to you what's connected to Iowa. Hang on. They rigged they rigged the election again, yeah. just as they did in 2016. Did you see the, the coin toss with the Pete B who won? Sure. And and what's did the you see and, that and what's toss? the hang I on, did. hang on. And but, what's the and what's the so rigging? I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain. So the I'll rigging that, this. Listen to how we are dealing with this impeachment. Uh-huh. Out of all the things that they could have gotten him for with the emoluments clause, forcing people to meet government officials to meet at the Trump Towers is a direct violation of the Emoluments Clause. They could have investigated that. They get this bull crap of, oh, election so is, is it your, is it your case, somebody, Robbie, is it your is, case? At some point, we've got to have a little back and forth. I want to understand what your point is, because I thought it was about Iowa. But now are you saying that the Democratic Party was trying to protect Donald Trump? They would rather have Trump than they would see a Sanders in the administration. And considering that Bill Clinton called and told Donald yeah, Trump to run, that. Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, hold on, before, let me make my, I wanted to finish my point here, which is that they could have got the impeachment out of all these things that would have actually had substance. This is how they are trying to get him back into there. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean, scammers literally stole her home. 
The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Welcome back, everybody. Listen to Tom Hartman's show. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in. Honored to do it. Tom will be back with us. Big week. We've had town hall meetings. We have a debate in New Hampshire. We had, heck, the week started with the Super Bowl, and this weekend will be the Oscars, and that is bracketing a significant debate over the fate and the future of democracy. Let's go to, I think, I'm not sure if it's Kano or maybe Kino from Lakeland, Florida. Thanks for calling. Yes, I'm the Republican moose herder who wants reform in the Republican Party. All right. And I have some advice for Amy Klobuchar in debate tonight. If she, this country needs a cyber war rules of engagement with Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. And if she will think that is a priority, uh, that'll win her some support because that's what we need in this country. And if she will talk about the qualities she will use in choosing her vice president to balance her for yin and yang powerful energy to compliment her, she will win a lot of points. And then uh, we'll get some Republicans that will go with her because eventually the Republicans are going to say, oh, oh, Donald is obnoxious. Donald has overreached. And so they'll use the 25th Amendment and uh, President Pence will have to take over because uh, uh, Donald's mind is going bad and he'll get so outrageous and so obnoxious and they'll say, oh, oh, and uh, President Pence will have to come in and they'll have to use the 25th. And Tom says that there's only one way for the vice president to, to take over in the 25th Amendment. But I think Tom's wrong. There's two ors in the Section 4 that says, or such body as Congress shall appoint. So Congress, when some of the Republicans figure out that Donald is off his beam and needs to be retired, then they can use the 25th Amendment and put in President Pence. But in the meantime, Amy Klobuchar, if she'll say that we need a cyber war rules of engagement, that that because Russia could knock down our electricity system, and we need to talk Let me respond to that people. one. Is it is it Kino or Kano, sir? Like Kiva done locks the door? No. Kino. All right. Well, I think the key is yes to what you're saying in that first portion. I do think one of the things I like about that, and thanks for making the phone call. Uh, you're listening yeah. to Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. The call in number is 202-808-9925. Is I do, I think there's a number of things, number of things in the debates that have been a significant focus. During the break, we got a call from, uh, from someone who thinks that the Democratic Party would actually uh, sort of prefer to see uh, prefer to see Donald Trump elected than uh, Bernie Sanders get elected. I will acknowledge I don't know what evil lurks in the hearts of all people. I don't. I mean, for the uh, people of rank in the Democratic Party that I know, I don't know anybody that wants to see uh, Bernie, Sander, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders be defeated by Donald Trump. I don't know anybody like that. And I don't know anybody who wants Donald Trump uh, to be reelected, regardless of who the Democratic nominee is. I'm not saying those people don't exist. I just don't know them. Uh, the... I do know some people who are still in pain around 2016. I know some people who feel abused by supporters of some candidates in this uh, in this race. Uh, many women who feel that they have been uh, just electronically tongue lashed by the supporters uh, of at least one candidate. But that's not. And, and there's been so much focus. I think some of it was to knock down Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in the previous debates by major media, uh, including focusing so much on the disagreements around health plans. There was lots of focus on that. That's an important issue. I don't mean to cheapen it as an issue. In fact, healthcare is the most important issue, according to 40% of Americans, by plurality of voters in the Democratic primary and of voters generally, it is the biggest policy issue facing the country. But the view of the Democratic presidential candidate is not going to be the governing view of what passes 
we've got to consider Congress. But the kind of thing you were talking about, Kino, how do we prioritize national security matters? How do we protect ourselves with respect to cybersecurity? Negotiating tougher agreements on things like cybersecurity, that's the kind of stuff a president can do. That's real stuff. That's relevant stuff. Healthcare is relevant, too. But I would like to see in the debate tonight some focus on the powers that a president actually has, not just what they wish that a Congress and a Supreme Court would go along with, but what they could actually do as president. That would be really great. Stephanie from WCPT, Ain't Afraid of Me. Go ahead. I wanted to address the guy who said he felt like he was almost disenfranchised from the Democratic Party. Sure. You know, because he wasn't up front, I guess. What we do down here in Chicago, I live in Pembroke, and we have um, the largest concentration of black organic farmers in the country. Nice. And what we're doing is we're teaching people how to be independent as they possibly can be. Uh, we, we are teaching people to grow food. And where do you grow? Is it, and yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I was going to ask you the question you're about to answer, which is where do you grow it? Well, if you can actually um, grow it in your backyard. If you got yeah. a, a balcony, you can grow it on your balcony. I have a friend when her kids went to college. She used their, she did grow lights and grew food that didn't need like bee pollination and some leafy plants, and she grew them in her house all yeah. winter. Stephanie, this um, is so brilliant. How did you get? How did you start getting engaged with that? With uh, teaching people to do more urban farming? How'd you get started, and why'd you get started? Well, one of the. Uh, uh, um, one of our farmers down here met with the Illinois Coalition of Hungry of Hunger. Yep. And so, um, and we, and, you know, people are talking about the food deserts. It's not just black communities that have the food deserts. If you go south of Chicago to Kankakee, and you go like, um, there's there's plenty of stores and stuff. But if you go south of Kankakee County, which is seventy miles south of Chicago, towns for the next hundred miles. The, some only grocery stores they have are dollar stores, and there are no fresh vegetables in there. No, and this is not just a Chicago thing. This is something that's relevant to everybody. It's places all around the country. This is this is true in Detroit. This is true. We've this is even an important issue in the district I need, uh, used to represent in eastern uh, eastern portion of Portland. If you go to the exurban south, there's a lot of places that fa- face food deserts. Keep going. Yeah, but but you also have them in the, the west. You go through New Mexico and you got yeah. towns of small people. And so what he can do is teach people to combat. If, if Trump cuts food stamps, teach people to grow food so that they don't starve. Amen, Stephanie. This is an inspiring call. Thank you so much. It also impacts safer communities. When you have gardens in front yards, it means more people are out <laughs> looking at the street. It improves safety in streets. There's so many benefits from urban gardening. Thank you so much for that call and for doing a little inspiration. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Tom Hartman's show. Uh, Desiree asked a question offline, uh, emailed it to me about a quick thing I rattled off when we were doing speed round. I rattled it off fast because it was the speed round and is an easy way to understand at least the biggest bulk of the federal budget. Every time you hear somebody bloviate about shrinking the federal budget and what they're talking about is, uh, oh, we should shrink foreign aid or food. Oh, we got to cut snap. We now know that Donald Trump has proposed new new rules that are going to hurt poor people and take people off their benefits. Uh, and each time there is this bloviation, they're talking about we got we got to shrink the government. We got to make government smaller. Let's talk about actually what the government spends on. The, give or take three quarters varies between 70, 80 percent. Give or take ballpark three quarters, the federal budget goes the following five things. If you're not talking about these five things, you're not really talking about impacting the size of the federal budget. And these are the things, by the way, not only these things are popular, but it also bears on the question of whether Donald Trump will, in fact, go after Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security, as he said he would not in 2016, but has already put out plans that do. He also said he wouldn't go after Medicare or Social Security during his State of the Union address. And I think we know that that could be the 16,000th and first lie to pile atop the stack. But in response to Desiree, here are the five things. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, service on the national debt, and the U.S. military. I'll say them again for fun. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, service on the national debt, and the U.S. military. For discretionary spending, those some of those things are locked in. They call them entitlements. They're entitled in the budget. The uh, 
for discretionary spending, military spending is a little over half of that. So if you're not dealing with those things, you're not really impacting the federal budget. And the, and the tricky deal is, the challenge that Republicans have had over the last 40 years is that they say lower taxes, lower taxes, but they don't really want to suffer the political costs. They would like to do it if they could avoid the political costs. So they're trying to do it slowly to throw people off Social Security, privatize Social Security. They've certainly tried to do that. Uh, slash Medicare instead of expanding Medicare to more people or to everybody. Uh, they are working to cut and have cut Medicaid because, you know, that's clearly just poor people and not older people, which include maybe some donors. So that's just a handy thing to keep in mind that the cha- and one of the challenges to just finish that point that they faced is that when they run on when they run on uh, slashing the budget or when they run on shrinking government or they run on lower taxes, the way to pay off the lower taxes is just a deficit spend to cry about national debt if a Democrat is in office. But when they're in office, cut taxes for people in the upper income levels. And then do that just by jacking up the national debt. It was the same thing under Reagan. It was the same thing under Bush. And it was the same thing under Trump. It's a standard move. And there are some. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There are true ideologues within the Republican apparatus who would like to slash Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. It's just been tricky to get all the votes in Congress to do it when members of Congress have to stand for re-election. But anyway, that list, Desiree, is a handy list to remember. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Service and National Debt, U.S. Military. Also want to respond to, Rob, you asked me, do I think that the Iowa, uh, Iowa caucus was rigged? I don't know. Uh, What I've been just saying is I want to rely on a paper record. It is a reminder that I want a paper record in every election. Uh, I am grateful to live in a state that has vote by mail. I don't think vote by mail is all of the answer, but I think you add vote by mail to automatic voter registration, to good election monitoring, to uh, a good system of democracy and having that paper record. You know, could you still rig an election? Sure, in some respects. But if you have that paper record, it makes it harder. Stella. Watching on Facebook from Providence, Rhode Island. You were looking for another word for polarity? Yes, please. For polarized, right, exactly. Imbalanced. Great, love because it. Because I think the issue you have with polarity is that it, it, it sets up a predicate that you have a binary system, and it's exactly. the binary system that is the problem. You know, this, you know, this is the land that was once lauded as the land of the lively discussion, and we only have two points of view. It's insanity. Thank you so much for the call. I like it. I like imbalanced. And as I say, you know, in the segments we sometimes do, the Watch Your Language segment, it's not, it's not accident, it's crash. There's something that happened. Uh, it's not shooter, it's murderer. Uh, it is, it, as we try to use better rhetorical architecture, it's not a state tax, it's, excuse me, it's not a death tax, it's an estate tax, or even a rich, t- rich kids tax. I like, whenever somebody says, oh, we're polarized, we're polarized, our caller is exactly right. It suggests that that pole has a a north and a south or an east and a west on a pole. It's a binary system. And part of the problem is we got to be smarter than that. I know I'm merely amplifying our brilliant caller from a moment ago. Rick from Canoga Park, California. I was going to call in yesterday when you were asking about the notes of uh, uh, gratitude that yeah. you felt. What I'm grateful for is some security in uh, our voting system. And it comes by way of my uh, my nephew got into the Navy, climbed all the way up to the top, and he is now at the Pentagon as a director of the Navy Strategic uh, Warfare Innovation yep. Cell. And uh, he passed on uh, this idea of gray zone warfare to explain what's been going on. Okay. It's, it's something that gray Russia zone has been doing. Yeah, okay. yeah. Check into it. It explains what happened at our uh, election in 2016 uh, because, you know, the uh, sabotage that occurred to our uh, electoral college that uh, threw the whole thing out of whack. It's, it's a form of warfare that the Russians have been employing for, for quite a while. They're, they're masters at this kind of stuff. It goes the gray zone, and the gray zone refers to sort of the space between the space between war and war and peace, kind of a different way of saying kind of a Cold War, but, uh, but a Cold War not based on just military weaponry, but based on information weaponry. Do I have that about right? That's right. Uh, what uh, Ken says about this stuff is that gray zone warfare is discussed as a stratagem marked by incrementalism, asymmetry, and deniability. 
Pre- I appreciate the call very much. The gray zone. I'll check more out about it. David, if we can do it real, real fast, because I want to have time to say goodbye. Go ahead, David, from Richland, Washington. I read an article on Amy McGrath, if you remember. She is sure. Mitch McConnell's challenger there. Yep. It was from Real Clear Politics, and in the article they speculated that she might be throwing the election. And my question is, uh, in boxing, that used to be a real problem. People, the opponent would pay somebody to take a dive, or they'd uh, extort them or threaten them or something like that, so the other one would. Uh, and furthermore, from what I hear, Stephanie McGrath's husband is uh, a Republican. Now, uh, so uh, Kellyanne Conway's husband, uh, George, I forget what his name, and, uh, you know, both of them are pretty sincere, and, you know, in their beliefs, but is that a common problem, or have you heard much where uh, one thing uh, somebody's I, political challenger will, you know, threaten or try to bribe The one thing I did, hold on just a second, Dave, and I hear some music sure. in the background. That's music I think we want to wait for the last minute and a half of the show. I haven't heard anything about Amy McGrath being a false flag. I did hear about another candidate uh, in a southern state who was being given a bunch of money by Republicans in order, but it, but it, I don't think it was Amy McGrath. In fact, in this article I saw, I think it was, a, it was an African-American woman who, uh, who I also don't think in herself was probably a false flag, but was given money by a bunch of Republicans, uh, and the speculation was so they could sort of rig it. Let's be clear. Let's be clear that, the, that everybody who calls in and get, has legitimate frustration at the, the left, center-left coalition party in this country, which we call the Democratic Party, you have legitimate frustration. Anybody who thinks that's your primary enemy, even people who are focused and concerned on what's happened in Iowa, remember what the caller here said? Remember what Rachel Maddow did on air, what she explained, was that a lot of why that looked so bad was because there were trolls, because there were rat effers who were calling in to clog the phone lines to make it hard to report the votes. All right. That that we have this has been going on since the Nixon era where they have rat efforts and trolls have turned their operating in politics to a high art. It is not they do not wear that badge as a scarlet letter, but as a red badge of courage that this is explains much of Donald Trump's uh, rhetorical choices. It was, oh, I can't imagine. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the modern Republican Party be horrified that he says those kind of things? Well, a few people, but that is the essence of so much of the activist base, which is sort of go get you, sort of screw you. So talk in a way that shocks people, tear you down sort of thing. And the dirty tricks sort of thing. We do have to watch for that very much. Rhoda, uh, you got a very quick question. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Thanks for all your hard work, Jefferson. My question is, does the president have a legal right to give the State of the Union address? Because I thought... He does. Well, at least the Constitution calls for it. Uh, the Constitution does indeed call for a, a State of the Union. The Speaker of the House uh, invites them to give the State of the Union there, and that's why uh, there was that controversy and debate prior and you, we can have a we can have a debate about that uh, but it is it is expected that there be a state of the union uh, whether it's given at you know a, a trucker rally or whether it's given in the in the halls of congress uh, how i want to finish karen was, was calling in wanting to uh urge the concept of guerrilla theater to educate people thank you karen uh brian and jennifer are uh wanted to decry uh, brian wanted to decry uh having bloomberg participate in the uh in debates and jennifer wanted to he hasn't participated in debates yet is he participating tonight i don't know uh i should know that i can look it up uh, he's, I'm told he is not. And Jennifer from Stillwater is wanting more people to cover what is happening in Iowa and what she views as a rigging of the caucus. What I say is I you know, hope that they will be relying on paper ballots. Uh, let me finish this way. Yesterday was uh, Gratitude Thursday. Thank you, Thursday. We focused on what good stuff was happening out there that could fill us up that could inspire us, that could make us feel grateful for what we're doing. I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for having the chance to participate in this community, for sitting in for Tom. I'm grateful for the Tom Hartman Show existing. I'm grateful to the team here who make sure the callers can get through, who make sure that the video can get played, who make sure that the show gets booked 
and make sure we get to commercial. I am filled with gratitude. I also am thankful for democracy. To me, that is the big fight. That is the struggle. It's not just what color t-shirt we wear. It's not just what primary candidate we're rooting for. There's a struggle for democracy. And I'll finish this way. Whose job is democracy? So many of the challenges we face are nobody's job. Whose job is it to make sure that there is alternative media? Who's making huge money in that? In a market sense, what big company benefits from fundamentally improving our health system? Who profits in a major way from us getting less sick, not just curing that sickness? Whose job is it to save the climate? I know that if I drive my truck all over the place, it has very little impact on the air that I breathe and the water that I drink, but if we all do it, we're all screwed. So many of our most daunting challenges and exciting opportunities are in a market sense nobody's job. That's why they have to be all of our jobs. That's why you are so important. You're the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason, and you are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Thanks to all of you, and thank you, democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith. Tom Hartman will be back with you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 